Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark. This is an episode of Education in the News. As usual, we have a lot of news stories to share, so let's get right on into it. Philanthropy News Digest reports that the Maximus Foundation announces more than $2 million in grants. This year, the funding will be focused on the organization's three giving themes community development, youth development, and health care services. Oregon Community Foundation awards $8.7 million in community grants. Awarded through its community grants program, the grants include $2.5 million in donor funds to directly support community grant requests and priority grants focused on organizations serving disproportionately impacted communities in the state um, of, sorry, I was cut off. Um, doesn't really say, I mean, just in the state of Oregon, but it says that the of the grants to smaller, nimble nonprofits meeting key community needs, including arts, cultural, educational programs, and those focused on equity, health, and housing and human resources or services. Due to significant demand, it was clear that, that we would not be able to fund every critical funding request from the community grants program alone. Donors from every part of Oregon stepped forward to help close the gap of ongoing needs in the community, said OCF Chief Philanthropy Officer Kirsten Kilchenstein. Quote, the generosity of OCF donors clearly signals that they want their communities to thrive. This level of collaborative and responsive grant making affirms that we can do so much more in Oregon when we work together. Bear with me. I apologize. I have to scroll through a lot of stuff here. 
Smart Brief on EdTech and Education Week announced that the FDA announces ban on Juul products in U.S. The FDA has ordered J-U-L, or I'm sorry, J-U-U-L, Juul, to stop selling and marketing its e-cigarette products in the U.S. and pull all of its vaping products already on the market. The news drew praise from school leaders and others who had opposed what they said in a lawsuit against Juul. With the company's effort or effect on an increase in nicotine used among students. Education Week also reports. Oh, actually, this is a repeat again. I'm sorry. Um, and they're they're clumped together in different emails. So a lot of times, different educational people that share news with us will repeat each other. Obviously, so it's pretty hard to sift sometimes. Um, anyways, this is from Smart Brief on Education. It says, How Sports Stories Can Build Character and Learning. Sixth grade math teacher Jennifer Tatum and sixth grade math and science teacher Emily Fagan of North Carolina both coach sports teams and advocate the use of sports as a tool to engage students and build character, confidence, and social skills. Tatum and Fagan write that they provide several such off-the-field lessons to their athletes and have found that the positive behaviors trickle into the classroom, too, and help improve learning. Talk about sports stories. If you go to newheightseducation.org and you go to, um, I think it's Programs and Services, and you go down to reading program, you'll see that we do have um, some reading times um, that Rowan Ann Hong, our reading ambassador, she organizes for us. And um, they're, they're from Second and Seven Foundation. And they're read by all student athletes. And they're free to listen to. Go on and, and check them out. I think you'll really be, be happy um, to share them with your children. It's really a great organization, and it was created by um, retired football players. So, okay, uh, let's see what I have next. This is from ASCD K to twelve Smart or K to twelve Leadership Smart Brief. Okay, Smart Brief on Education. Use patience, curiosity to reconnect with colleagues. Reconnecting with colleagues after being apart due to job changes, the pandemic, or even a vacation involves being deliberate and curious in communication to rediscover commonalities and interests, writes Fred End, with an E on the end, of the Putnam Northern Westchester Board of Cooperative Educational Services. Quote, knowing people, who they are, and how they tend to reconnect can make us more effective leaders and learners as we determine the level of support people need when they return. Education Week reports that hiring teachers require more nuance than ever. States are pulling back, uh, um, pulling back qualifications and increasing teacher pay in an attempt to recruit teachers and long-standing and amid a long-standing shortage in school districts around the county. Hiring personnel are holding job fairs, hold, 
outside of their normal periods to shore up vacancies among or ahead of the common school year. KOAA-TV of Colorado Springs, Colorado, says that high schoolers to design digital I Voted sticker. High school students in Colorado are invited to design a digital I Voted sticker as part of the statewide design competition. The contest will be open through September 2nd. Chalkbeat in Detroit, Michigan, reports that relief funds help district round out staff and programs. COVID-19 relief funding is helping Detroit area schools fill staffing gaps and support personnel such as mental health professionals and nurses. Some of the funding is also being used to finance the district's virtual school and pay for after-school and summer school activities, says Superintendent. Nikolai Fetti. Fox Business reports that college goes virtual on Fridays due to gas, gas prices. Southwestern Community College in Sylvan, North Carolina, announced earlier this month that it would begin holding classes virtually on Fridays in response to the increase in gas prices. They said the school will remain fully functional. Education Week reports that investments vary in school ventilation. Proper ventilation systems can help curb the spread of the coronavirus in schools, yet a CDC report finds the schools often opt for less expensive options. The report also finds that there are funds available for school ventilation, but investments are vary based on the school's locations and poverty level of those enrolled. Wow. That's just not right, but it's been happening for a long, long time. Okay, um, the New York Times, the Associated Press, and The Hill reports that a deal has been reached to forgive $6 billion in student loan debt. I mentioned this in the last um, radio show as well. It says the Biden administration has agreed to forgive the $6 billion in federal student loan debt held by 200,000 people who attended one or more of 150 schools that the U.S. Department of Education says engaged in substantial misconduct. Anyways, if you want to learn more, listen to the previous episode. Um, I gave some advice about it as well, but I thought maybe it would give some other kind of update, but it does not. So, moving on. Uh, let's see. This is from Idaho Falls, Idaho. The Post Register reports that Idaho teachers grow STEM skills in summer PD program. K-12 teachers in Idaho are participating in professional development through the Idaho STEM Action Center at the College of Eastern Idaho, focused on the theme Amplify STEM. The four-day workshop is aimed at growing teachers' STEM skills with the goal of introducing more students to STEM career pathways. NBC News reports that Ohio State University gains trademark rights to, quote, the, T-H-E, Ohio State University clothing and apparel can be emblazoned with the word the 
now that the university has registered the trademark after a three-year process. The three letters are a rallying cry for Buckeyes fans and contribute to a $12.5 million revenue stream for the university, according to Ben Johnson, who is Ohio State's Senior Director of Media and Public Relations. Uh, the Tahlequah Daily Press, I hope I said that right, in Oklahoma reports that Oklahoma middle schoolers attend math camp workshop. Students played logic and math games for cash and candy during a math camp workshop hosted by the Oklahoma School of Science and Mathematics. Workshop host Frank Wang said middle school is a key stage in piquing students' interest because they are all excited and curious about learning. Bradenton Herald in Florida reports that Florida schools to pilot brain health program. I mentioned this in a previous episode as well. It says seven schools in Florida have signed on to a brain health pilot program aimed at developing brain healthy school prototypes that schools can use. Under the program, the students will receive resources aimed at improving brain health and wellness with the goal of addressing learning readiness, social and emotional development, engagement, stress, anxiety, and depression. A lot of repeats. Just a moment, please. Okay, this is from Education Technology out of the United Kingdom, actually. And it says that a report highlights cyber concerns in education. The education sector has seen an increase of cyber attacks of 114% over the past two years, with schools, parents, and students listed as prime targets of hackers, according to a report from Checkpoint Research. The report states that the global education sector saw more than two times the industry average of cyber attacks in July of 2022. An insider high education reports that colleges online officers forecast a larger hybrid focus. Colleges chief online officers expect to see a much larger hybrid class focused by 2025. According to the changing landscape of online education 2022 survey from the Quality Matters and Edu Ventures, with so many hybrid combinations possible, colleges will be, will be looking at the right delivery modes for what we are trying to achieve. For these students and for these career objectives, survey co-author Richard Garrett says. K-12 Dive reports that more districts are getting funding for students who are homeless. There are more than 600% increase in the number of school districts receiving federal funding earmarked to support students experiencing homelessness. According to a Schoolhouse Connection report, Barbara Duffield, Schoolhouse Connections Executive Director, said districts receiving McKinney-Vinto funds for the first time may be able to hire dedicated 
staff to support these students. About time, right? KDAF-TV in Dallas-Fort Worth reports that principal makes back-to-school rap video. Tito Salas, principal of Texas Elementary School, is featured rapping in the school's new back-to-school music video posted to the school's YouTube channel. The song is a take on the popular TikTok song and has been viewed at least 1,500 times. Inside Higher Ed. Civil rights groups call for a probe of fake university. Forty civil rights groups are asking for federal investigation into the University of Farmington. A fake university established by Homeland Security Department to catch international students in visa fraud. The groups say the students were tricked into enrolling in the school which had no faculty or classes, and almost 600 students enrolled in the school, spending $6 million in tuition. Disability Scoop reports that enrollment in special education grows Data from the U.S. Department of Education indicates that the number of students receiving services under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act has risen by nearly a million students over the past 10 years. Autism is the most common diagnosis among students receiving services, said Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates CEO Denise Style Marshall who cites early diagnosis as one of the factors driving increased program participation. Edutopia reports that ideas for using play to reinforce lessons. Older students benefit from play-based learning just as much as younger students, according to Peter Gray of Boston College, who is cited by educator Kara Soma in this article. SOMA also offers ideas for such learning, including using manipulatives such as Lego bricks and art supplies to help students visualize abstract concepts. EdSurge reports that schools seek evidence when considering EdTech. There are roughly 9,000 education technology products on the market, but there is often little evidence available to schools to determine whether the products are effective. EdTech companies can earn certification under the federal Every Student Succeed Act to demonstrate the rationale, but officials say relatively few do. And I did share this in the last um, show as well. I think it's time for a commercial break, so we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Right now, now, you might be struggling struggling through your classes classes. or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, 
educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. You're listening to Education in the News. Let's get right back into the news. We've got lots more to cover and never enough time to do so. So uh, the next bit of news I have from you comes from the Department of Education here in Ohio. State and local education news. Um, Canton Repository reports that Ohio's after-school child enrichment programs offer $500 for eligible families. The Houston family uh, used Ohio's new after-school child enrichment education savings account to cover costs. Ohio lawmakers designated $125 million of the state's federal coronavirus relief funds and the last state two-year budget cycle to fund the ACE ACE program as a way to help students recover from learning loss caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Through ACE, a family whose income is at or below 300% of the federal poverty line, that's up to 79500 in income a year for a family of four, is eligible for a $500 credit for each child between the ages of 6 and 18. The money, which is available to any student educated at home or in public, private, or charter schools intended to pay for learning activities outside of the classroom, such as before and after school educational programs, day camps, tutoring, and language um, or music classes. Olentangy schools to start 2022 and 2023 with five new principals. The Columbus Dispatch reports the five new building principals will be among those welcoming students as Olentangy schools start the 2022-2023 school year. August 18th, new principals um, are Dana Kimchi at Johnny Cake Corners Elementary and Michael Warren at Arrowhead Elementary School, Brian Baker at Liberty Middle School, Stephen Tart at Stranahan Middle School, and Monica Asher at Olentangy Orange High School. Only Kim Chu comes from within the district, having served as assistant principal at Olentangy Middle or Meadows Elementary School for the last seven years. And in related coverage, Parma City Schools names Leah Walden as New Ridge Brook, New Ridge Brook Elementary School's principal. And that's from Cleveland.com, the last part there. Richland Source, Emerging Educator Workshops Prepare Community Members for the Classroom. The North End Community Improvement Collaborative at Ohio State University Mansfield Campus, Mind and Body Align, have partnered to offer a free workshop to anyone interested in substitute teaching or pursuing a career in education. The Emerging Educators Workshop will be held, um, well, actually in August. This episode, I think, um, will be after this date. But, I mean, you could maybe really still check in with them. I mean... It wouldn't hurt if you're interested in something. Um, Toledo ABC 13. Washington Local Schools implements new visitor policies to ensure student safety. Toledo ABC 3 
or ABC 13, leaders with the Washington local schools are cracking down on safety this school year. Superintendent Katie Anstad said with the recent uptick in the school violence across the country, something needed to change. Quote, we've always had procedures for visitors entering our buildings, but I think over the last couple of years, we haven't had as many visitors, says Anstead. Recently, we've gone through a safety audit and we had a professional group come in and kind of just give us some suggestions. Cleveland.com reports that Parma City School District's new school year kickoff event scheduled for August 20th at Byers Field. The dog days of summer mean school is about to start before the first bell on August 22nd. The Parma City Schools is once again hosting its free opening kickoff. The fifth annual affair, which normally attracts two to 3,000 people, takes place from 10 a.m. to noon, August 20th, at Byers Field. There are four main events attached to op- the opening kickoff, meet and greet opportunities with all principals and administrators, and NCPC Technologies Recycling drive through Stuff the bus, and the Right Aid Vaccine Clinic. Just a moment, I want to... Okay, I want to save something here. Let's see... Okay, so the the next article that I have for you is from fee.org. And it is from it was written June 24, 2022 by Carrie McDonald. And it's titled One Prominent Libertarian Explains Why Unschooling is the Best Way to Educate Kids. Uh, even though Friedman homeschooled his own children, he believes unschool, unschooling schools are preferable. So it looks like they, they had a, a podcast about this where they interviewed Dr. David Freeman or Dave, yeah, Dr. David Freeman on unschooling and it's, it's on liberated L I B E R A T E D. Um, so liberated ed podcast number 21 if you want to look it up and listen to it on your own Um, but it says i seems obvious to me from my own education or i'm sorry it seems obvious to me from my own education that one learns things mostly when you're interested in learning them and not mostly when somebody sets you down and makes you learn them says dr david or i don't know why i keep calling him doctor david friedman Um, In our conversation on unschooling in the latest episode of Liberated Podcast. Yeah, I don't think he's an actual doctor. Sorry about that. Um, Friedman is a um, physicist, economist, and law professor who is the son of a Nobel Prize winning economist, Milton Friedman. He is a staunch supporter of unschooling or the idea of self-directed, non-cursive learning that occurs either as an approach to homeschooling or in unschooling schools, such as those schools modeled after the Sudbury Valley School 
in Massachusetts that was founded in 1968. I wrote here, he says, I wrote extensively about unschooling the Sadbury model and other unschooling schools in my 2019 unschooled book and was delighted to discover the most recent edition of Friedman's well-known book, Machinery of Freedom, Guide a Radical Capitalism. Capitalism, First published in 1973, includes a chapter on unschooling entitled Unschooling, a Libertarian Approach to Children. Friedman unschooled his own children, writing in Machinery of Freedom and in his blog, quote, judged by our experience, unschooling not only saved our children from having to spend substantial part of every week sitting in class being bored, it also gave them a better education. Um, I'm not going to read the entire article, but if you want to read it, you can. And if you want to listen to the show, I am, I'm going to add some perspective to this. Um, and I don't know if it'll be a popular one or not, um, but it's my my outlook on it. And I've been around a long time and helped a lot of different people with a lot of different ways to educate their children. I do understand unschooling, and I'm not against it necessarily, um, but I do think that there needs to be some type of structure for some things. So whether that is teaching your child, um, if you're a homeschooler, to read, um, I, I think that you do need some structure to do that, to, to really sit down and teach them how to read and spell and things like that. I do believe that um, math is, is very important, but it should be taught in a way that benefits the child and the way they learn. So you have to figure that out. And depending on if they take to math or not, they may need a lot of gui guidance and some structure. Um, and I think a lot of the, the things that we've been taught over the years, even in public school, um, from when I was in public school as a student, um, a lot of that you do not use. So I, I do think that we need to really look at education and figure out what really, what are these students really going to need? You know, and, and if, it's, if it's not something that they're going to be using in everyday life that's not going to benefit, then why do we teach it? So I do believe in like when somebody first starts to uh, homeschool, let's say, and they start to, they do kind of need to go through a, a, like an unschooling, which means that you just don't teach like the public school does. You don't need to do that. There are different options and curriculums, and you sometimes you have to explore those different types of things to figure out what's right for your student. So in that way, it can be an unschooling. Um, and... And if there's some things that you just don't want to teach because you don't think it's benefit, you're certainly, that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I do think there needs to be a healthy balance so students know how to do certain things too. So we try to help guide people in knowing what those sorts of things are. 
and what is needed and so forth to graduate. And of course, homeschoolers um, have different requirements than the public school. But um, it really needs, you need to look at each child, their needs, their goals, what they dream about becoming if they know, and and creating a curriculum that matches them and their needs and their family's needs. So in that way, I'd say yes to unschooling, but I know that there's vast differences in when what someone says unschooling, there can be different opinions on how far you take that. Because you don't want it to be a crutch either of you just not working with your children and them doing whatever the heck they want and really maybe just sitting and playing video games or something like that all day. You don't want that either. Um, you want them to be successful in life and they need to learn how to read. They need to learn how to spell. Uh, they need to, to know math, um, at least to some kind of level that is going to, you know, benefit them in life. You know, their addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, division, um, and so forth. I mean, you, you have to have some kind of basis for something, you know. So there's my opinion on the matter, whether you wanted it or not. But I wanted to share it because I think I really understand a lot of the different types of homeschooling the, and just education in general. So there you have it. Okay, uh, the next bit of news that I have for you is from Philanthropy News Digest again. And, hold a second. I'm trying to open multiple at the same time here. Okay, so um, Helmsley Trust awards $4.4 million to National Park Foundation. The grant will support renovation of the visitor center and outdoor area of the Bering Land Bridge National Preserve to create a welcoming, inclusive space and share culturally relevant content. And Google's Bryn gives $127 million to Michael J. Fox Family Foundation. The Google co-founder has distributed 1.7 million shares of Google's parent company, Alphabet, to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's research and his own family foundation. And the Algorand Foundation commits $50 million to global blockchain research. Ten universities in six counties will receive funding for blockchain and cryptocurrency research that will leverage the open source Algorand blockchain based on the low power consumption cure proof of stake protocol with the goal of implementing the environmental impact and creating the first carbon neutral blockchain network and the 2022 Hilton humanitarian prize awarded to Norwegian refugee council the annual $2.5 million prize recognizes a nonprofit organization for extraordinary contributions toward alleviating human suffering. Um, sorry, just cut off. NRC, which um, 
Norwegian Refuge Council's work is the recipient of that. So, um, and it's going to be um, founded in 1946. The NRC works in more than 35 countries to assist people forced to flee from their home countries. You can find that article on Philanthropy News and type in 2022 Hilton Humanitarian Prize. And you should be able to find it fairly easily. Okay, here's another one um, from them as well. Um, oh, wait a minute. Sorry, got some repeats again. Okay, do not make it easy because I'll have one thing on it that's not a repeat. And I, and I do try to sift through these before online with you guys but it's just really difficult um kids count find american children are in mental health crisis the annie e casey foundation annual assessment of the well-being of children through national and state data warns of the alarming rise of mental health challenges including anxiety depression and suicide among american youth they also report that Urban League awards $21 million to Indianapolis area nonprofits. 52 grants, totaling more than $21 million, were awarded to 40 nonprofits as part of the Indianapolis African American Quality of Life Initiative. And the UCI receives $4 million gift for Center for Jewish Studies, the largest gift in support of Jewish studies at the University of California. Irvine will help increase programming focused on K-12 education about the Holocaust and bolster partnership with universities in Israel and fund two new endowed chairs. Okay, I need to take another commercial break, but I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hello listeners, if you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. Welcome back to the New Heights show on education. This is your host, Pamela Clark. And you're listening to Education in the News. Uh, let's get right back into it. Lots more to still cover in limited time. So, um, continuing with Philanthropy News Digest, uh, the Mount Mandel Foundation awards $3.25 million to Cleveland Public Library, the largest grant in the library system's 150-year history, will fund creations of digital technology labs and workforce training center focused on adult and senior learning. And Nadia Voices Rising awards $2 million to Indigenous advocacy groups. Grants will be awarded to 88 Indigenous and Native-led advocacy and organizing groups working on issues including the promotion of Indigenous worldview, Native sovereignty, climate and water justice, economic development, language preservation, and voting rights. Bear with me. 
Nonprofit Times releases the 25th Annual Power and Influence List. This year, the magazine's 25th edition of Power and Influence Top 50 list features 28 women and 16 newcomers and two executives who have been included, um, who have not been included for a, at least a year. And the Howard Hughes Medical Institute announces 2022 Gillum Fellows. The cohort of 51 graduate students and their advisors will receive a total of $53,000 per year for up to three years to create an inclusive academic environment and increase diversity of, of scientists at the, the our faculty level. And UCI receives $10.1 million grant to expand young adult court studies. The grant from the Orange County Healthcare Agency will support the expansion of a public-private partnership that helps first-time felony offenders between the ages of 18 and 25 have their charges reduced to a misdemeanor or a complete dismissal. Well, that sounds a little scary. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, you know, if you commit a crime, you need to to pay for it. And, and letting people go, even if it's small things, it'll go into bigger things because they'll think there's an out. So that's a little bit scary to me. Um, the Iowa West Foundation awards $4 million to 20 nonprofits. The funding will assist residents in Potawatomi and the surrounding county, particularly children, through support of early childhood services, trauma-informed care training, Wi-Fi access, parenting programs, music education, and other programs. Still with Philanthropy News Digest. These are all from them. Um, AAPI Civil Engagement Fund awards $3.6 million for racial justice. The fund awarded 21, or I'm sorry, $2.145 million um, through its Anti-Racism and Intersectional Justice Fund and general operating grants to 39 organizations representing 30 Asian American and Pacific Islander communities and $1.5 million and upbuild AAPI grants to eight of those grantees. And foundations transfer Ebony Jet Photo Archives to Getty Smithsonian. The Ford Getty Trust, MacArthur, and Mellon Foundations have transferred the acclaimed Johnson Publishing Company archive to the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture to the Getty Research Institute, a program of the Getty Trust. In, this is another one, sorry, I'm switching now to another one. In, INN, index report shows broadened demand for public service journalism. According to the 2022 INN index report, the number of nonprofit outlets providing local coverage has rapidly increased over the past four years. And Brown Family, or I'm sorry, Brown Foundation commits $6.2 million to San Diego State University. The grant includes $5 million in support of Artificial Intelligence Center at the Fowler College of Business 
and $1 million to bolster the Aztecs Going Pro Student-Athlete Career Development Program. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? A lot going on with Philanthropy News Digest, so bear with me. I'm still going through them. Um, Federated Indians of Grayton Rancheria commits $4.2 million in U or UCLA law. The gift from the tribe will establish and endow two chairs in Native American law, which will recruit, retain, and support faculty members and help advance the study and practice of tribal law. The University of Houston receives $10 million for a football center. The football development center, estimated to be 100,000 square foot per feet, and feature cutting-edge amenities represents a transformational resource for UH that will impact recruiting, student-athlete athlete development, and competitiveness. And the Awalid Philanthropies launch effort to train Saudi women lawyers. The foundation has signed a memorandum of cooperation with the Saudi Data and Artificial Intelligence Authority to build a joint training program for training female lawyers in the field of data, artificial intelligence, and technologies that helped launch the first Saudi female lawyer's specialization in data, specializing in data, excuse me. Um, Templeton Foundation awards $2 million to Boston College. The grants will support the faculty-led projects in B.C. Lynch's School of Education and Human Development. A lot of money being thrown around, isn't there? I mean, some in good ways and some in not-so-good ways. Um, and I'm sure you're seeing that as well. Um, continuing, uh, Ford Mellon Foundation's announced Disability Future Fellows. Administrated by the United States Artists, the program awards 20 artists with the disabilities unrestricted grants of $50,000 each with the aim of increasing the visibility of disabled creative practitioners and elevating their voices individually and collect collectivity. And collectively, I should say. Gee, Williams. Uh, and Ford and Cressage Rockefeller join President's Coalition. Three foundations will join 21 corporations to uplift, support, and underserved communities and four focus areas. Um, trying to find four, um, four areas. Okay, for growth and people of all races, ethnicities, um, gener generating inclusiveness and incomes and um, yeah okay so that was that one okay so have some more here report spotlights corporate efforts to fight human trafficking the report from the US Chamber of Commerce and United Way Center to combat human trafficking highlights the importance of strategic philanthropic Investments to combat it. And Verite to launch nonprofit newsroom focused on New Orleans. Verite has received a two year, $2 million commitment from Ford Foundation to support of the launch with focus on editorial planning, recruitment, and other hiring 
of a top-notch team of journalists. Texas Christian University receives $25 million from a medical school. The commitment from the estate of Ann Burnett Marion and Burnett Foundation, which follows the $25 million gift in 2020 to establish the Ann W. Marion Endowment, will support students, faculty, programming at the newly renamed Ann Burnett Marion School of Medicine. And Google.org awards $10 million to study cash transfer impact on housing. Part of the organization's 2019 commitment of $50 million to address homelessness in the Bay Area, the funding will go towards direct cash support infrastructure for nonprofits and randomized impact evaluation that enables critical research on how best to assist in providing stable housing. And the Rockefeller Foundation commits to making climate change focus of work. In an open letter, Rockefeller Foundation President Rajiv J. Shaw said it will maintain its mission to promote well-being of humanity throughout the world, but to promote the well-being of humanity throughout the world, but through the lens of climate change. Okay, let's see how much more time we have. Um, checking to see if there's any more from Philanthropy News Digest. Oh, here's one. Um, Pivot Funds awards $2 million to BIPOC uh, BIPOC All Capital News Organizations in Georgia. The Venture Philanthropy Organization's inaugural grants will support seven non-traditional news sources that serve Black, Latinx, Hispanic, and Asian American communities in the state, providing health news, sharing practical civic information, and serving as buffers against disinformation. The Boyd Foundation and GrowCo helped launch Tech Center in South Carolina. The Boyd Community Innovation Center will help develop high-tech talent and encourage local entrepreneurs keep their small business in South Carolina Midlands areas. Penn State receives $5 million in the Smell College and its Smell S-M-E-A-L College of Business. The gift will endow the John and Karen Arnold's Dean Chair at Smeal College of Business, making it the university's eighth college to be named Dean's Chair. The Ruth Foundation uh, for the Arts Awards inaugural grants. Uh, funded through the fortune of Ruth de Young Coyers II, the foundation awarded unrestricted grants totaling $1.25 million to 78 arts nonprofits across the United States and increments of $10,000, $20,000, and $50,000 depending on the recipient's operating budgets. And the Blandin Foundation receives $4.8 million in grants. Grants were awarded to local organizations working to hire or inspire, support, and guide young people from the cradle to career.
and Lilly Awards, $20 million for Christian education in the U.S. and Canada. Um, grants ranging from $690,000 to $1 million were awarded to 21 institutes as part of the Endowments Pathways for Tomorrow initiative to strengthen the leadership capacity of pastors and congregational lay leaders. Weingart Foundation awards $8.7 million in grants. Grants were awarded to 64 organizations working to enhance racial justice, provide critical services, and building power to underserved communities. Coles commits $10 million to Boys and Girls Club of America. The funding will support the development and delivery of trauma-informed training to club staff, providing them with the skills to implement trauma-informed practices through formal and informal learning experiences with youth. And the Murdoch Trust announces $32 million in spring grants. Grants were awarded to 76 organizations. Wow, that was a lot, wasn't it? Um, still some more of those. Uh, let's see. Carnegie Endowment, Princeton Launch Research Institute. The institute will serve as an international resource to study information ecosystems that spur evidence-based policy solutions and counter threats to information environments. And Lowe's announces 100 hometown community impact projects as part of a five-year $100 million commitment to the communities Lowe's serve projects in 40 states and Washington, D.C. will work to restore and revitalize neighborhood housing, parks, community centers, and other community focal points. Salesforce launches a fund to promote inclusive philanthropy. The philanthropic arm of the company, founded by giving pledger Mark Bainoff, will provide unrestricted funds of $100,000 each to 20 nonprofits in Australia, United Kingdom, and the United States that are led by people of color and other underrepresented groups as part of an effort to redistribute the flow of philanthropic funding to traditionally underfunded groups. The Irvine Foundation awards $36.5 million in grants. Grants are awarded through the Foundation's four initiatives focused on working with Californians. You can read more about that by looking them up, actually. Okay, now we're running out of time. I have one more article to share with you from fee.org. And it's called The Ugly Truth About College Accreditation. It is an older one, but it's being recycled back through the internet again. And it was written by Jamin Eubner. The appointment, again, this is an older one. The appointment of Betsy DeVos to Secretary of Education has spurred renewed interest in federal regulation and education. Just how much is needed, if any? When it comes to higher ed, this question is inevitably surrounds the messy topic of accreditation, which was more negative, which has more negative impact on institutions than it is often perceived. What's accreditation again? Like many of the government's tentacles, accreditation is simply a process of colonization and control. 
the Department of Education approves of certain accrediting agencies, which then approve of certain educational institutions. Specifically, the DOE, the Department of Education, sets standards, educational, financial, logistical, organizational, strategic, and economic, and etc. For the accreditors and the accreditors, accreditors set standards um, for its members' institutions, which may or which they must follow or lose accredited status. Schools, public or private, desire and choose accredited status for its benefits. These include Title IV federal funding uh, or student loans, certain state and federal programs of academic, sports, and research data, um, or IPEDS, I-P-E-D-S, all capital, and easier transferability of student credit between institutions. Um, there's some other notes on here. I mean, if you want to go into the article and see kind of side notes and stuff. This says encouraging education or crushing it. If we're honest, we'd say that the institutions seek accreditation because they'll, they'll be punished if they don't. Avoid, avoiding prison is quite literally the most pressing reason to be accredited. Each state in the U.S. has different policy regula or regarding post-secondary institutions. In many or most states, it is illegal to offer degrees as such without being accredited by an accreditor uh, recognized by the Department of Education. All of this means starting new schools is particularly difficult. Impossible, actually. For example, in my home state of South Dakota, the laws on this matter between 1965 and 2009 were written so strictly that it was effectively illegal to anyone to support a degree-granting college at all, exempting only religious education. Why? Because the law required the new institutions were accredited from the start, but the legislators failed to realize that this is prohibited by DOE. Accreditation takes around 5 to 15 years to start to finish. No new institutions can be accredited. Accrediting standards require the states to approve the new institution before accreditation grants accreditation. It's a catch-22. The accreditors don't approve without state approval, but the state doesn't approve without accreditors' approval. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, South Dakota's law changed 2009 to make things less absurd, and this is just one policy from one state. The red tape around the campus. Aside from just getting permission, accreditation standards are downright burdensome. Some rules do define and at least delineating what constitutes financial and academic fraud, but most are anything but easy. Ge generic standards across accreditors typically require full financial audits annually, loss 10 to 15,000 each. Staff and systems for a comprehensive self-assessment, full-time fixed salaried professors for each major adequate facilities and resources on site, inspections and metrics, students to faculty ratios, graduation and retention rates, distract institutions from authentic classroom experience in hopes of achieve, achieving an, empiric, an empirical 
goals that are often irrelevant. As I wrote elsewhere, by collecting data and committing epistemological hedge monocide, one privileges the numer numerically measurable and mathematical as one thereby perceive the true state of affairs with regard to an institution's health and mission are, are merely capitalized to a modern worldview that is virtually blind to those very things, question mark. By obtaining full compliance and the coveted blessing of Caesar, has an organization truly proven itself sustainable and functional or simply become masters of public projection, mechanical obedience, and academic magnoloquence? Oh, and then there is the cost of being accredited. Yes, member institutions are required to pay accreditors for their accredited status in the form of annual fees determined by the enrollment size and for any other related expenses, on-site team visits, travels to commission meetings, and etc. And then there's the fact that accreditors compete with one another to attract member institutions and thus the increased revenues, often adopting more rig rigorous standards since accreditors know institutions are compelled to be accredited. Regulations accumulate and schools simply have to deal with it. Any accreditor that advertised easy standards to schools should be flagged by the DOE, and the DOE has killed accreditors. In the end, bureaucracy gives birth to more bureaucracy. The economic environment of a school, cost, value, budgetary planning is completely altered for reasons that have little to do with academic supply and demand. We are over time now. Um, if you want to see the rest of this article, which is, uh, we are going to have it in an upcoming magazine, probably the November, December one, because um, our, our next magazine is getting pretty full already with articles. Or you can just go on fee.org and type in um, the ugly truth about college accreditation. I hope that you have enjoyed today's show. I know it is packed full of news, uh, like it always is. But um, I want to remind you that every Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, one of my shows is released. And it, we're on 27 different networks for your listening pleasure. And then um, we have Barbara Bolin, who does a show on civil rights every Sunday, and it is launched by 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I invite you to listen to her show as well, radio.newheightseducation.org. And, of course, the New Heights Show on Education is one of the programs that we have here at the New Heights Educational Group, newheightseducation.org. If you like what we do, if you um, are curious about what we do, I invite you to visit our website and support us. Um, you can volunteer, you can request services, or you can donate funds, much-needed funds, that our 501c3 nonprofit needs to continue to do all the things we do for people that need educational uh, resources and learning. So... Until next time.
We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.